0: And can last forever. Hello, and welcome to Reason for Hope. We have a great podcast for you today, and thanks for tuning in. And if you're new to us, I am so glad you're here. Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so, and give us a good rating. It helps get the word out. And also, hit the share button. Let's get this out there to as many people as possible. Join us on social media, where we keep you engaged through our music, videos, and daily reflections. And by the way, all the music on this podcast is original and is created by the Array of Hope team. So subscribe to us on Spotify and all the other music platforms. Well, it seems as if our culture, the political landscape, our church, well, everything seems to be changing and not necessarily for the better. We may be confused or even full of fear of what the future might bring. As a result of this, many of us are experiencing stress or even depression. And how do we handle this? How do we find peace? You might say there's lots of choices and options. You need to get one with nature to find your inner peace. To calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings. Be one with your thoughts and bodily sensations. Experience a state of mindfulness. I I mean, what am I even saying? Look, I don't mean to offend. It seems that people are searching everywhere and anywhere to get a sense of spirituality. But the answer is right in front of us. There is really only one true path toward healing and peace. Yeah, I know you know what I'm gonna say, right? God, God is the answer. He is the only remedy to be in union with Jesus Christ and his holy church. But there is another thing we can do, an additional approach. Let me ask you a question. If you needed someone to do something for you or gain an advocate for your position, who might you ask? Would you ask their best friend or their spouse or their mother? Who would have the greatest influence over someone? Probably their mother, right? This is the foundation of praying to our blessed mother, asking her to ask her son to listen to our prayers, delivering them to Jesus. Now our Protestant brothers and sisters would say, well, you can just pray directly to Jesus. He hears you no matter what. And you know what? Yes, this is true, but why not do both? Let's get as many people we can to ask Jesus to hear our prayers. Now that's how we are all united in the body of Christ, in communion with the saints. But to ask Jesus' mother, now that's powerful. So we're gonna talk about this today with Carrie Gress, a prolific and insightful author. As Jesus said on the cross to his beloved disciple John, behold your mother. Jesus was telling all of us, behold your mother. This is gonna be an inspirational episode so, welcome to Reason for Hope, and here we go. Cause
1: hope can
2: last forever. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know? How much she loves you so? Do you know? Do you know? How much she loves you so?
0: Okay, so here we are back with David Heideck. David, hello today. How are you? I'm good. (laughs) I am super (laughs) pumped because it is a very interesting topic today. The topic is Behold Your Mother, and we're going to discuss the Blessed Virgin Mary, who she is, and how important it is to entrust our lives to her. I got to tell you, Dave, in my early days— Not too long ago, I definitely had a hang-up with Mary. And I know that a lot of Catholics don't completely understand this devotion to her. Uh, And I've even heard people say that Catholics kind of worship Mary. So what is the foundation of Catholic devotion to Mary?
1: There's this line from Paul's letter to the Galatians with which I'd like to start because it sort of sums up the Blessed Virgin Mary's role in our salvation. Then God sent out his Son on a mission to us. He took birth from a woman, took birth as a subject of the law, so as to ransom those who were subject to the law and make us sons by adoption. So right there, St. Paul is talking about how Jesus was born of a woman. Now, this is really important because, you know, it's Mary's yes, to God asking her to be the mother of his son that makes possible Jesus' yes to accepting the mission of redeeming us. So it's the Garden of Nazareth where the angel appears to Mary and says, will you be the mother of the Son of God that in a sense makes possible the Garden of Gethsemane. Hmm. Where Jesus says, your will be done. What does Mary say in the Garden of Nazareth? Let it be done to me according to your word. We see these two gardens. We see these two fiats, if you will. But Mary's is the one that, in a sense, precedes and makes possible Jesus's. So, God saves us by his son, but through a woman. Hmm. Now, this is very interesting when you relate it to the book of Genesis and the fall of Adam and Eve, and it also sheds some light on why Mary is the new Eve, just as Jesus is called by St. Paul, the last Adam or the new Adam, because it was Eve's no to the commandment of God not to eat from the fruit of the tree that led to Adam's fall, which then brought sin into the world. And Paul says this in another place in his letters where he says, just as through one man's sin, sin was brought to all, so through one man's obedience, redemption was brought to all. So Paul himself makes this parallel. So again, Eve's no leads to Adam's no, which brings sin into the world, Mary's yes leads to Jesus's yes that brings redemption. And so if we don't understand this plan of God, then we really miss out on the importance of the blessed mother. Not to mention that truthfully, God could have done this in a completely different way. He didn't have to have Jesus conceived as a single cell in the womb of a woman. To grow through every stage, to be a zygote, a blastocyst, an embryo, a fetus. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to, to, to become man and then be born from the Blessed Virgin Mary and nurse at her breast. Like, this is not what God had to do. Jesus could have just come. God could have just become man and shown up on the scene. But he chose to do it this way, and so I, I think that that's really, really key. So, I think sometimes people misunderstand Mary because they yeah. don't understand her role in that redemptive event, right? Um, now, just a few other ideas here. In John's Gospel, it says the Word became flesh. When <laughs> and whose flesh? Right. Did you know that Jesus gets all of his flesh from the Mary. Blessed Virgin Mary? Mm-hmm. The word became flesh, yes, Mary's flesh. Wow. You know, so this is another, I think, important never think thing about it that yet. way. So sometimes Mary is called the
0: co-redemptrix or the co-mediatrix or the mediatrix of all graces, right? Uh, And this really throws people off because the scriptures say that we have only one mediator. And I got to tell you, that's what my hangup was, you know? I could speak directly to Christ. I don't need a mediator. I don't need Mary, his mother, right? At least that's the way I felt. So how can we understand these terms? And what does John Paul II mean when he says that Mary's is a maternal mediation.
1: Okay, this this is really great stuff. What do we mean by co-redemptrix, co-mediatrix, or mediatrix of all graces? You ever see a statue of the Blessed Mother or, or an image of the Blessed Mother where her hands are extended and her palms are up and right. it seems like these lights just are shining from her hands and shooting down on the world? That's her dispensing the graces on the world. It's a beautiful, beautiful image. So, Again, this is a really interesting thing. Um, Co redemptrix, let me just get something a little bit out of the way. Jesus is the Redeemer. Right. Right? He is the one mediator between God and humanity. That doesn't mean he doesn't choose to include others in that redemptive work. And in fact, have you ever heard somebody say to you, oh, Mario, you know, offer that up? I know you're struggling a little bit, offer it up, right? And usually what that means is you offer it up for somebody's salvation, for for some grace for somebody. Right. Even prayers, pray for me. Will you pray for me? Sure, I'll pray for you. Okay. Right. And then God, thinking our prayers are going to do something. Isn't that God including us in his redemptive work? Right. So this is all of our work. When Mary at Fatima talks about, you know, making reparation for sin and praying the rosary, she's in. She's inviting us to participate in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That our sufferings, united to Christ's sufferings, actually go towards the salvation of the world. Mm -hmm. So we're all included in that saving mission. If you understand that, then it's not like a big jump to say that Mary is a co-redemptrix par excellence. You know, because she is the one who is full of grace. Right? She's full of grace. And and that's profound, by the way. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but when the angel appears to Mary in Luke's gospel and says, Hail, full of grace. He doesn't say, Hail, Mary, full of grace. We say that in the Hail, Mary prayer. He just says, Hail, full of grace. Full of grace is Mary's name. Hmm. and And what does it mean that she's full of grace? Well, obviously, she's filled with grace because we believe as Catholics that She was preserved from the stain of original sin from the moment of her conception. This is the the, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. But she's full of grace because she was the one who was most self-empty. And you know how you know that? Because she says, behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. I am completely available to God and what he wants. I so love God, I have so given him my whole self. You know, John Paul II talks about this as an indication of her virginity, by the way. This idea of like, I am the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me, this complete and total availability belonging to God is enfleshed in Mary in her virginity, that she has given herself totally to God. So, I mean, that's it. If she's completely empty, now she can be filled with God, she could be full of grace. So there's this sense that she is the perfect one. Hmm. Right? So I mean that I think is is one thing. Um now what about this mediatrix uh, of all graces? Well, some of this comes from the idea that that just as Mary brought Jesus, right? It was Mary who gave us Jesus, who is the Redeemer, that just as God asked Mary to be the one to give Jesus to the world, God also gives every other grace that he wishes to give to the world through her. Because you can't get a greater grace than Jesus. So therefore, any other grace he gives would come from Jesus through his mother to the world. Jesus comes to the world through Mary and he continues to come to the world through Mary, mm-hmm. right? By giving his grace through her. I wanted to uh, to read something from uh, St. Louis de Montfort. This kind of explains it a little bit. The father gave and still gives his son only through her. He raises children for himself only through her. He dispenses his graces to us Only through her. God the Son was prepared for mankind in general by her alone. Mary, in union with the Holy Spirit, still conceives him and brings him forth daily. It is through her alone that the Son distributes his merits and virtues. The Holy Spirit formed Jesus only through her, and he forms the members of the mystical body and dispenses his gifts and his favors through her." Mm. So this is what this co-mediatrix or mediatrix of all graces refers to, and it makes sense when you when you follow it through. Now about the maternal mediation, I like to look at the uh, the story of the wedding feast at Cana. One of the things that's very very true about a mother is that she's always trying to put her son. In the front. Mary, as the mother, is always going to be putting forth Jesus. Right. Right? And she's always going to kind of be in the background, except to, like, push him into the foreground. At the wedding feast of Cana, this is a great story, because, like, the bride and the groom, they have this tragedy. They're out of wine. And this would have meant a lot of embarrassment for them and everything else, right? It would have been a really bad start to their, their married life. They don't even know what's going on. They don't know that they're out of wine. We have no indication in the story that the bride or the groom knew that there was a problem. Right. But Mary notices the problem. Isn't that a mom? hmm she, she sees it before you even know it, and she's on it. Right? She's on it. And so she goes to Jesus and says, they've run out of wine. And, of course, Jesus is like, what does this have to do with me? And then she just turns to the stewards and she says, do whatever he tells you. And then, of course, being a good son, Jesus does what his mom asks. Mm -hmm. So, this is important. Jesus was obedient to Mary, and he did what she wanted, what she asked him to do. And she anticipated a need for that couple that presumably not even they knew about, and it doesn't seem that Jesus knew about. And she goes to him and says, hey— they're out of wine. Now, what a beautiful motherly mediation, right? And so we can trust that in Mary, that she's going to notice our needs before we even notice what they are, that she's going to approach her son and say, look, Jesus, you know, Mario's got this going on. David's mm-hmm. got this going on. And, and, you know, can you do something about this? That she is mediating. Yeah, it's beautiful. You know? And uh, a little bit of a another additional point here from St. Louis de Montfort. He makes this point, which I think is really impressive, when he talks about why consecrate yourself to Mary or give yourself totally to Mary. Our good master stooped to enclose himself in the womb of the Blessed Virgin, a captive but loving slave, and to make himself subject to her for 30 years. As I said earlier, the human mind is bewildered when it reflects seriously upon this conduct of incarnate wisdom. He did not choose to give himself in a direct manner to the human race, though he could have easily done so. He chose to come through the Virgin Mary. Thus, he did not come into the world independently of others in the flower of his manhood, but he came as a frail, little dependent child on the care and attention of his mother. Consumed with the desire to give glory to God, his father, and save the human race, he saw no better or shorter way to do so than by submitting completely to Mary. He did this not just for the first 8, 10, or 15 years of his life, like other children, but for 30 years. He gave more glory to God, his Father, during all those years of submission and dependence than he would have given by spending them working miracles, preaching far and wide, and converting all mankind. Otherwise, he would have done all these things. What immeasurable glory then do we give to God when, following the example of Jesus, we submit to Mary? Mm-hmm. It's awesome. So, so, you know, Jesus is a good son. He follows the commandment, honor your father and mother. And because Mary is empty of herself and full of grace, her will is completely aligned with the will of her son. And so when she brings something to him, he can't help but do it. Hmm. He can't help but do it. Now, granted, she's never going to bring anything to him that is contrary to his will. But she might bring something to him that he wasn't planning on doing. So the thing that she brings to him will never be contrary to his will. But it may not be something he was intending to do other than through her intercession. And so if we turn to her and submit to her, that's powerful with the Mm -hmm, Lord. mm -hmm. And that's powerful with the Lord. Uh, it, it's it's awesome. and 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 sometimes people feel
0: that, well, we're not asking to not pray to God directly. You can still do that. It's in addition to praying to His mother. maybe we could talk about, you know, consecrating ourselves to our lady. um. We personally did that. I did this a couple of years ago. I consecrated, you know, a ray of hope to Our Lady, uh, and it was a game changer for us. It really made a difference. Uh, It helped me grow on my own Marian devotion. And when I say it was a game changer, she listens, and, and she takes those prayers and brings them to Jesus. So if Mary, his mother, is asking in addition to me, ever the more that Jesus will listen. God will grant her petition. Yes. So what I'd like to do uh, is end this segment with the the prayer that we say every day here at Array of Hope uh, as we re-consecrate ourselves to Our Lady. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Mary, we want to consecrate Array of Hope to Jesus through you. We give you our heart. Please set on fire with love for Jesus. Make it always attentive to his burning thirst for love and for souls. Keep our heart in your most pure heart, that we may love Jesus and the members of his body with your own perfect love. Mary, we entrust ourselves totally to you, our body and soul, our goods both interior and exterior, and even the value of all our good actions. Please make of us all that we are and have, whatever most pleases you. Let us be a fit instrument in your immaculate and merciful hands, for bringing the greatest possible glory to God. If we fall, please lead us back to Jesus. Wash us in the blood and water that flow from his pierced side and help us never to lose our trust in this fountain of love and mercy. With you, O Immaculate Mother, you who always do the will of God, we unite a ray of hope to the perfect consecration of Jesus as he offers himself in the spirit to the Father for the life of the world, amen. St. John Paul, pray Pray for for us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A Ray of Hope has always been about evangelizing through music, through film, through video, through witness, through events. And one of the things that we're extremely proud of is the growth of our music division. One of our songs is Rise Up. We all need to rise up with a sense of urgency. To seek God I just want to share A little bit of this If you're not aware Of our music We're on Spotify And all the other Music platforms uh, Check this out for a minute We're going to give you A little bit of a taste It's
1: Jesus That we seek
0: This, you got to check us out on all the music platforms. We've got a lot of stuff on the horizon that we're going to be releasing. Okay, so today's guest is Carrie Gress. She has her doctorate in philosophy from the Catholic University of America. She is the editor at the online woman's magazine Theology of Home. Carrie is also an author and she has lived and worked professionally in Washington, D.C. and Rome, Italy. Her work has been translated into nine languages. She is a frequent guest on Ave Maria Radio, Catholic Answers, EWTN Radio, and Relevant Radio, and has appeared on Fox, the BBC, CBC, EWTN, and Shalom World. Let's welcome Carrie. So Carrie, how are you? So nice of you to join with us on our podcast and we're very excited to be speaking with you today. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's, It's really a delight to be with you all.
0: That's that's it's a delight to have you. Um, I'm looking at your background. I'm looking at your you know uh, just uh, the books that you've written and 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 the articles that you've written. And you're a you know you're a intellectual powerhouse. I'm really excited <laughs> to ask you a lot of stuff. Uh, before before I do that though, before we kind of get into it, um, I just I like to know uh, a little bit about our guests and uh, their background and and their sort of their formation, their early mm-hmm. formative years. So uh, are you? a cradle Catholic? Were you always engaged in your faith? Tell us a little bit about you.
2: You know, I was I was raised Catholic, and I went to Catholic uh, schools for most of my education, but I was a really lukewarm Catholic for a, a great portion of it, I think lar- largely because I was just so poorly catechized. Um, but then when I was in high school, I my father passed away, and um, I think that was one of those moments where it's really easy to start soul-searching and, and mm. looking at what's important, and I know this sort of a rebellious streak that I had. I no longer had anybody to rebel against. Mm. Um, My my poor mother was grieving and working and um, he wasn't there to sort of lay down the law anymore. So I just started realizing that I I had to answer these questions for myself and, and started searching. And I had always had kind of an interest in the Virgin Mary and certainly places like Lourdes just fascinated me. And so I started saying the rosary and, um, I ended up making a pilgrimage to Medjugorje at one point after he died. And then, um, you know, it was there that I just kept digging. And I, I knew that the church was right. But I, again, I was so poorly catechized that, uh, you know, what I believed and what, the way I was living my life didn't really match up. And then finally, I met this group of, of women. They were all my mom's age. And they they were basically the mothers of a lot of my friends. And they prayed the rosary every Thursday. So I started praying with them. And um, I think it was their influence. You know, they introduced me to St. Louis de Montfort and Marian consecration. And just that experience of being mentored by these women was really transforming. And um, that allowed me to find the, the real resources that would tell me, you know, you shouldn't be uh, you know, out getting drunk every Friday night <laughs> and those kinds of things that uh-huh. as a college student I was doing. So um, in any event, it was um A Very long and slow process, but I think just beautiful to see how it changed, especially once I did a Marian consecration, Mm. you know, my life really changed tracks, I think, at that point. Um, And so from there, I just started pursuing um, more intellectual studies and I did a master's degree at Steubenville in philosophy and then finally got my doctorate at um, Catholic University.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome, so uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you experienced some hardship right, and you were searching for purpose and trying to understand meaning when your, when your dad right. passed away and uh, it's interesting that um you know you uh, came in touch with some people that had a devotion to Our Lady, and uh, our lady essentially introduced you to her son, uh, mm-hmm. it seems right uh, through and right. but you had some curiosity and then you wanted to develop your intellect as as you grew in in really um, I guess, having an appreciation, a love for the faith, essentially. But I guess mm-hmm. the, the question I want to ask is that, was there a transformative moment in your life where the Lord actually touched your soul, where you actually felt God, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. intellectually, right. um, where right. he pierced you and you said, oh, mm-hmm. oh this is real. This is not yeah. just about the intellect or understanding something.
2: It's mm-hmm. something
0: that is real out there. Can you describe that for us?
2: You know, it's interesting because I can think of about 10 of them, Mm, Um, you know, to bring that up, that there's so many different stages. And I think that's the beauty of the Christian life is we're always called to go deeper and um, deeper wonder and beauty. But I did a semester in France and I had somewhere read about St. John Vianney saying, you know, if you spend, uh, just go and sit in front of the tabernacle and let him look at you and you look at him. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, you know, I was at this gorgeous church. It was the the church at the, the Palace of the Popes. And, um, I just would go there in between breaks of my classes and just sit there and look at him, and he would look at me. And I, I remember coming home very changed because I saw things I hadn't seen before, like the, just understanding natural law, you know, that so many of the problems that I had and that other people have are because we're not following God's law. Uh-huh. Um, so it was it was little kernels like that along the way that that were hugely transformative and drew me in in a way that if I hadn't had those experiences of prayer and real connection with Him, I I would never have gotten to those places. um, Yeah.
0: That's beautiful. Prayer was really your... Your, your conduit, essentially, in, yeah. in communicating. No, That's beautiful. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about uh, a book that you wrote, The Anti-Mary uh, Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity. Yes. So you know this is really interesting because you hear a lot these days about toxic masculinity. And right. the idea of this anti-Mary is kind of intriguing uh, to many. So t- t- tell us a little bit about that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this was one of those ideas. I, I wrote the book called The Mary Option. And when I was researching that book, you know, it's a, that book is kind of a bird's eye view of all the things that Our Lady has done throughout history, different ways that she's um, changed battles or, uh, you know, ended famines or uh, just performed different miracles for her, for her children. So while I was looking at that, I'm seeing, you know, truly, even, even National Geographic had has called her the most powerful woman in history or in the world. And so I was looking at her and I was looking at elite women in our culture. And I just thought, you know, these, these women in our culture, they're not just sort of like drift. They haven't just drifted away from who our lady is and what she represents, but they're actually diametrically opposed to it in terms of issues of life and and purity and sexuality and what, even what it means to be a woman. Um, and so I, it, it struck me that we're not living, you know, in this age of just rejecting Mary, but it's actually an anti-Marian spirit that has, um, touch so many women in the culture. And, uh, you know, it's one of these things that I, when I first signed the contract after I wrote the Marian Option, um, my publisher asked me to do a specific book just on this idea of the anti Mary because I reference it in the Marian Option. And, um, you know, I was a little worried. I thought maybe there won't be enough evidence to, to make my case. And, you know, after two years of researching it, there was so much. I was just so relieved to not have to, you know, look through it anymore because it's just so evident that there, it, there really is a spirit. Um, that has captured Western women. And I think that it is very pervasive. And if you even look at everything, you know, from politics to Hollywood, to fashion industry, to magazines, to even published books, um, there's very much a kind of a stranglehold that these elite women have on the messaging that's available to your everyday woman. And I think that that's one of the, the scariest aspects is just to see that we haven't even, we haven't done a good job of providing an alternative perspective to women. And so this is why we see such dramatic brokenness in our culture, because it's the the real answers that are provided by these elite women um, are based on lies. And the first one, of course, is that women, in order to be successful, need to be like men. And the second one is that our children are an obstacle to our happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are, you know, those are what kind of undergird all of the policy that we see, everything from abortion and um, uh, even the transgenderism has really arisen out of um, all of this confusion about who we are as women. Um, so yeah, it's it was one of those things that I've had friends who read the book say, you know, once you see the anti-Mary, you can't unsee it, because it's just so prevalent in the culture and, and you know, in the headlines every day, you can see some examples of it.
0: That's great, great. So you have this website and an, uh, a book called the "Theology of Home." In fact, uh, you receive praise uh, of your book from none other than Joanna Gaines, right? From the uh, yeah. f- Fixer yeah. Upper, which is right. kind, which is kind of cool. <laughs> um, yeah, t- really tell fun. me a little bit about this, and you know yeah. what is what is your vision for that?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, this book is ended up coming out of the mm-hmm. anti Mary because one of the things that I saw so clearly with the anti Mary was just how. The culture was transformed. You know, it wasn't because women were out reading Karl Marx or even Margaret Sanger, but they were reading Cosmo and they Mm. were reading um, all these different magazines. They were watching Oprah and daytime television and soaps and all of this, which of course is conveying in drips and drabs all day long this this message of based on lies. And so it struck me. You know, we can we can talk till we're blue in the face about these ideas, but we don't have any way to sort of um, convey positive ideas. And, you know, a lot of the the social sciences are really pointing to the fact that that Catholic women who are living their faith are really the happiest women in the culture. Um, There's so many reasons for that, but we don't convey that very well. We're always sort of on the defense, I think, as Catholics. And so... I wanted to create something that was really beautiful and compelling, but also had pictures and images in it that show what you're not supposed to see in regular television. We do this also with our with our website. We have a daily um, collection of of aggregated content that we, we post daily. And again, what we want to see are happy families and husbands who are manly and healthy and you know aren't squashed by their, their wives will, Mm -hmm. Um, also babies and big families, you know, those are the kinds of things we just don't see images of. And, um, so that's, that was kind of the combination of things that we wanted to put into this, but we also wanted it to be something that we could kind of give to any woman in our life. You know, most of my books prior to this, I could only give to sort of certain people that I knew in my life. Um, but this has been a book that I could give to pretty much anybody that I know, because it's about the home and it's just such a great access point. We all have homes. Um, we all know that if you don't have a home, what a tragedy that is. And um, we recognize that it's, it's an important place in our life. It's been a really fun, fun project.
0: That's awesome. So our topic today of this podcast is called uh, Behold Your Mother. And we've been talking about how Mary is our mother and her uh, maternal mediation, uh, per se. And um, so maybe you can share a little bit about your thoughts on Mary's motherhood.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. Um, and that's one of the things I tried to address both in the anti-Mary exposed. Um, you know, the first half of the book is is pretty negative in terms of looking at what's going on in the culture. But the second half really looks at who Our Lady is and why she should be a model for us. Um, and that was hard to do, in fact, because I think so often she's portrayed as very kind of one-dimensional or very saccharine or just kind of unapproachable. You know, I mean, how do we relate to this perfect woman? Um, and yet uh, there's, there's so many different access points. But one of them is that I went into in the, the new book is just understanding what the word fruitfulness means. Um, and I think that that's, you know, even to say it, the word fruitfulness sounds sort of archaic or obscure. Um, but my co-author, Noelle Mary and I really go into this topic and look at, you know, what what does it mean for a woman to be fruitful and of course like our lady when we're fruitful when we cooperate with God we also happen to be beautiful we also do the good you know all of these amazing things happen because we magnify the lord like our lady did like she does perfectly um, and so it's it's really a beautiful thing to start looking at okay what does it mean to be fruitful versus powerful and controlling and this is what our culture has presented to us as the model of womanhood is you have to either have power or you have to be able to control others um and that's just uh, again opposed to who our lady is and what it means to be fruitful um, and that part of that is just the idea that women have this capacity to hold others we can see this even in our bodies you know we have wombs we have hips even our arms are, are bent a little bit so that we can cradle a baby more easily than a man mm-hmm. um, well, I never noticed that Yeah. No, most of, I hadn't noticed it too until a few years ago, someone pointed it out to me, but, um, but it's those kinds of things that I think we've we've had to ignore. And it's, it's interesting how, when I start talking about this, people are like, I never thought about that Mm. because again, we've had this sort of oppressive message that we have to be like men and are completely ignoring these, you know, self-evident characteristics that we have that are speaking volumes to us. But again, nobody highlights them. So we don't, recognize them. Um, So that's kind of part of the the beauty of what women do is they take things into themselves, both physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. And we, we transform them. We make them better. Um, This is why the church is called the she, Um, Mm. you know, there's all these different ways that we can see even the word um, for the nave of um, the church is named after a ship or the Navy, which in romance languages is feminine, which means a kind of carrying, which women, do in spades so Mm -hmm. anyway it's it's interesting to start looking at all of these aspects i think that they all are very symbolic and emblematic of what it means to be a woman but also following that perfect woman who who's married
0: that's great that's great so you know in in my Personal journey, Uh, unlike you, I I came to loving Our Blessed Mother much later in in life. And I think you're the minority, actually. Uh, Most people, you know, have this sort of aversion or they don't really consider Our Lady as really part of the salvation plan, you know, being able to, using her intercessory prayers. And I guess my question to you is that for our listeners, how can you encourage someone to start a relationship with Our Lady and and, and to better understand? I, I know for us, we, I consecrated myself to the mm. blessed mother, maybe five or six years ago, it hasn't been that long, and I consecrated a ray of hope. Uh, only mm. it's been three years ago, you know, mm. and I have to say it was a game changer. It just yeah. totally changed my relationship with her son. It mm. totally changed how I understood who she was, and I'm mm. still learning. And right. uh, but most people don't have that relationship, so maybe you can share yeah. how someone can acquire yeah. that.
2: You know, I think that's a, a great question. Um, it, she is a game changer and absolutely, you're so right. There's, it, it, I, I feel like, you know, there's, you're just plumbing the depths. There's so much more. And each time I write a book, I, I feel like I, f- I find another facet of her that I hadn't considered before in a different angle. And I think one of the reasons we do struggle with it so much is just because we have had this assault on motherhood for, you know, three generations now since the 1960s. So people don't already have formed in their mind what a good mother is. And, you know, that's one of the tragedies is that that archetype of a good mother has been wiped out. And um, one of my earlier books, I did a lot of research on women of that were baby boomers and you don't find a lot of kind of maternal grandmotherliness there. Like I found with, you know, my own, my, my father's mother, who was much older and, it, you know, that great sort of archetype that we all have of a, of a grandmother that's just missing now, I think. Um, and I, I was sort of looking for it and it was interesting what I found. I found all kinds of just odd distortions. And and um, even as a mother, I, you know, when I'm pregnant, I just have my fifth baby. And it's always interesting to me to see who I get the most critical re- remarks from, <laughs> um, you know, when i mention mentioned that it's, it was, a fourth or fifth child and it's that kind of same age group. And so you can see this damage has been passed down to all of us, that Mm -hmm. if we can't imagine a good mother in our own experience or good grandmother, then it's going to be very hard to relate to who our lady is. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that's an um, important piece is to see, or even looking at literature and looking at good movies and good representations of, of women is, is such an important thing to sort of even form our moral imagination about what a good, healthy woman is like. So I think that that's one one place to start for sure. Of course, the other one is just e- even that very simple childlike question of, you know, Mary revealed to me who you are. Mm. Um, she wants to do that. She wants to be in our lives and have a very personal encounter with us. Um, so, you know, my encounter with her will be very different, obviously, than yours or or anybody else's because it's kind of tailor-made for, for who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the, the last part of that is just even trusting that she loves us and she knows our mission better than we love and know ourselves, and I think that that again, that childlike sense of of trusting ourselves to her um, can go a long way. Even if it's just an act of the will and a and a small prayer, um, it doesn't really take much more than that. She's going to start showing you herself, um, you know, through prayer and through our thoughts of her and and whatnot. So yeah, I would love to have just kind of a simple formula, but there's so many different ways that people approach her and different ways that she can manifest herself. In fact, you know, so many of us have done St. Louis de Montfort's Marian consecration. And yet the language of that can often kind of be off-putting to people. And um, that's why I wrote Mary Consecration for Children with a kind of a different language to help them access who she is. But it's been funny because I've had a lot of adults say, you know, I learned so much from that book. I loved it. You know, I did it with my kids or I did it with my teenagers. And so it, it's just interesting to see how many different ways she can bring us to her. Um, and it's a matter of sort of finding a voice that that's, that speaks to us. Um, but more than anything, just being open to it, I think is important, yeah.
0: I mean, why wouldn't we want the Mother of God to be our ally, right? And, right, and, and, and exactly. pray, it, it makes right. it makes complete right. sense, you know
1: right. Uh, right. we
0: use the thirty three days uh, consecration, thirty three days of morning glory, consecration nice. with michael yeah. you know, father michael Gately. and and uh-huh. I, I find that to be found that to be really helpful. Yeah. But uh, people
2: love that. Give it's us the
0: name people. of your your one for children.
2: Again? A Marian Consecration for Children, and um, we are uh, releasing a, a video version of it, in oh, fact, wonderful. Wonderful. It be done. wonderful. We filmed it last year, and um, it's taken a while to get it put together, but it's coming out very soon.
0: That's great. That's great. Well, listen, Carrie, it's been a joy. It's been wonderful speaking with thank you, you. So. and hanging with you today, and uh, thank you so much for offering your time, and uh, uh, let's, uh, let's continue to pray for one another and grow in our relationship with Our Lady, eh?
2: That sounds great. Thank you so much for having
0: me on. All right. God bless you. You
2: too. Hey, thanks for
0: hanging out with us today. So stay in touch with us throughout the week on social media, where we can keep you engaged through our music, our videos, and daily reflections. If you enjoyed this today, please share it with others. It really gets the word out. This podcast is only made possible by donors and supporters of Array of Hope. You can also become part of the Array of Hope family by going to our donation page on our website at arrayofhope.net. Our guest next time will be Dr. Deborah Savage. Our theme will be the feminine genius. I'm going to recommend that we men listen to this especially. It's going to be full of insights. I want to thank our co-producer, David Heideck, and our engineer, Jack Garneau, for putting all this together. So thanks for joining us today, and there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace.